Right. I won't touch anything. I don't fiddle about. <laughs> don't. Yeah, don't fiddle. Listen, Barbara, thank you so much no. for coming on my show and talking to me about herbs. So I'm fascinated thank by you. herbs. Yeah. Tell me, tell me a little bit about yourself. Why, why are you into herbs? Tell me a little bit about yourself. Okay. Well, I'll make it brief. My mother and my grandfather were herbalists, but not of the trained type, but of the old school in the UK of people with knowledge, who handed knowledge through families. I don't know any further back than my grandfather, but right. um, they used herbs. They didn't used to go to doctors. Doctors were very different back in the day, mm. um, but that's how my mother was brought up. So my mother brought myself and my sister up in a very similar vein. Um, so we were used to herbs as being part of life. It's just what we did. So throughout my life, my interest became very much food orientated as well. Um, and that's where really I sort of started with my further education, but was very disillusioned. It was the 70s. And oh, so many things were very strange in the 70s. Great music and other things happening. But, but yeah, the food industry was a little bit weird because I was in the hotel and catering industry. Mm. And it wasn't what I expected at all. So I didn't pursue that for too long. Uh, but I always had my interest and my other things within my life that were of my, net, my main interest, which was food from a health perspective. And of course, herbs and everything to do with herbs, which is part and part of, of the whole. And how long have you been part of this Herb Society, United Kingdom Herb Society? Um, quite a long time. I became a member through an elderly herbalist that I knew and, and then um, came to work with and then discovered about courses and that you could actually train to be a practitioner as well because um, I hadn't really gone down that route and searching that. Um, so I was a member for quite a while and then I got approached by the charity, the Herb Society UK, uh, because we're getting a little bit, bit worried about the medical side of herbs because they produce a magazine for members and information and do events. And the person who was previously advising them had retired from that post. And so they were looking for somebody who was quite newly qualified mm. and, of course, had a passion for what they did. So Great. that was me. So let's go back to basic definitions. What is a herb? Because I think of herbs as mint and organo and rosemary. You know, what, what, what is yeah. a herb? We're quite right. You're quite right. All those, all those counts. The dictionary definition is dreadful, um, <laughs> way out of date, really, because in my world, everything is a herb. I mean, if you think of worldwide, as far as the planet is concerned, yes. everything on the planet that grows from nature um, has been many of it, most of it has been around a very long time. And it's been used around the world and worked with around the world for a raft of things, not just for medicine, but for everything else as well. So our lives started with working with nature. So and what is me, a herb? That is why it's the So it's everything to do with uh, barks of trees and shrubs and berries and flowers and leaves and sap. And I could go on, roots, rhizomes, tubers. So it's everything to do with plant world, basically. Literally, so, all so, of it. So anything plant-based that can be ingested or used for medicinal purposes, is that a good 
definition? Worked with in, in, in any way. Sometimes you don't have to ingest a herb. It's very different than allopathic medicine. Sometimes just being around the plant, because as in all nature, there is a vibrational energy. Mm. There's the other aspects that we look at as well, because we work holistically with people. So we're looking at everything, mental health and physical health. Sometimes you don't need to ingest the herb. Sometimes you can just be around it and feel uplifted. The fragrance even might uplift you. The touch, the feel could be used externally for certain conditions as well. So it's not all about just ingesting. You know what? It's really funny. If I had listened to this, what you just told me 10 years ago, I would have been like, man, this lady sounds like a woo-woo lady. This is woo-woo medicine. This is all crazy. Now, now in 2023, I'm listening to this. I'm like, you know what? I love this. It seems like you're just connecting with nature. You're connecting with the earth. And yeah, I do believe there's a frequency to everything. And you're either in tune with it or you're not. So tell me. Absolutely. Well, when you've got children, Hmm? I'm sorry to interrupt you, but when, when when you've been a child yourself, and yeah. if you keep your childlike self within yourself, or you then go on in life and have children of your own, mm. you very quickly realize that children are very open and receptive yeah. and in touch with all sorts of things. And that's what, as we grow up, we seem to lose somehow. I agree. Some more than others. Absolutely. I think it's so important to hold on to that, that wonder and awe that you have as a child and fearlessness as mm. well. Um, so that's what I, how I'm trying to bring up my kids. So, you know, now, unfortunately, most people will think of, you know, a herbalist as some kind of witch potion business going on. But for the longest time, like you said, it wasn't. For the longest time, you know, people went to herbalists to get better. Can you just like talk me through, you know, what, what happened to the profession? What was it like? And what kind of ailments and conditions would they be treating? And you know, let's move on from there. Gosh, how many weeks have we got on this topic? That's a lot. But yeah, yeah let's start from the <laughs> point of view that as, as the original medicine for the planet, as the original food and the original medicine worldwide, all cultures around the world for centuries, ever since life has developed on this planet, we've used these plants. Yeah. We might have called them different things. We might have worked with them in different ways, but we became aware that the plants were our lives mm. and that they could they could help us, they could support us, and that we needed to learn about them. So for centuries, this original medicine has always been here. And in different parts of the world, we now like to refer to different cultures having different things. TCM, traditional Chinese medicine, Ayurvedic, the herbal medicine of the East, of India and different places. And we refer to all sorts, Tibetan, Unami Tib, all sorts of different cultural bases. I was predominantly trained in Western herbal medicine, which is as old as other cultures, but doesn't get noticed and recognised in quite the same way, probably Mm. because we're smaller, probably because we've no financial backing or support, especially in the UK, to actually say what it does on the tin if you like, which is what China has done, spent billions. Let's not go there. But the reality is that this original form of working with herbs is as as old as life on earth. It's nothing new. 
It's just that we've got disconnected as the years have gone on. Mm. We've um, altered our lives considerably and we've lost touch. And now, fortunately, because of all sorts of things that happen in life, people come to different stages at different times, although some never come to those stages. They might go through the lifetime and might never realise about certain things. But people in many countries of the world have begun to recently realise that things are not all that they perhaps hear or see or do or say. And they're beginning to perhaps reflect and look at a wider aspect. It's not about going back in time, because herbs are certainly not museum pieces, and they're not all about the past. They are our past, present, and our future, though. So all that has been lost needs to be maintained. And this is why knowledge, education, is paramount, which basically is why I am with the Herb Society, because it's an educational charity about herbs for everything, craft, art, cooking, gardening, literally everything. It's the only charity that's about herbs for everything. But its starting point was herbal medicine. Mm. And it started there simply because the then government wanted to ban the use of herbs and the choice of healthcare in the UK. Oh, when was and that? a woman called Hilda Lay. Well, when the Medicines Act was coming in, in this, uh, in the forties, after the Second World War. Oh wow! After the Second World War, everything started changing: agriculture, yes, um, medicine, everything. The pharmaceutical companies were coming in big time, mm. and of course, uh, control was changing. There'd been a big shock, hadn't there? Been with the First World War and the Second World War, and they wanted to be more self-sufficient. They wanted to change things, and they wanted to feed the nation, mm. and they wanted to do all sorts of things. So, Chemical onslaught came in in the food industry and with farming. And we've seen the errors of the ways there. And throughout my life, I have constantly heard about this. I'm of the generation where I've been listening to Sir David Attenborough all my life and several other fabulous people to know that we've been making huge mistakes and we would eventually pay the price. And that's exactly what was happening as far as herbal medicine was concerned. There's always been your wise people. There's always been your shamans, the um, village person, whatever. In your tribe, there's always been knowledge. There's always yes. been uh, information handed on. And it was recognized that that knowledge had to go. So herbs would be banned, couldn't be used as herbal medicine, and all herbalists no matter whether they were trained or not, would not be allowed to work anymore in the UK. This was the government act that was coming in. Oh, wow. It's an eye-opener. Yeah, what a shock. So you can imagine being a herbalist who'd helped people for years and years and had so much knowledge. She went to the government and she got support and she had the acts amended to ensure that as long as the herbalist does consultations and treats people through consultations. Remember, this is the days before online came in and all those mm. other ridiculous things that are now happening in this world. Mm -hmm. So as long as it was like seeing a doctor, a different form of practitioner, through consultations, you could still continue to treat your patients with herbal medicine. And then regulations came in, of course, and certain herbs were not to be used by the general public, were practitioner only, and that's continued. So there's a number of herbs that um, only practitioners who are registered and um, 
uh, insured and everything else can actually prove that they're trained to use these herbs with knowledge and with the professionalism behind them. So there are a number of herbs which some of us use, which the general public can't get hold of. Okay, so as I say, we're in practice. That that was kind of I I wasn't expecting that. So remind me of the name of the person who lobbied with the government to make sure that herbalists could still practice. Hilda, Hilda Lale, Hilda, Hilda. Lale, and she was the founder of really this this charity, this herb society, because she decided that she would welcome all her patients and anybody else who wanted to come into her membership group free mm. of charge, mm. and then she could work with them through consultations and continue to treat and, of course, take on new patients. She wow. went on to open the Culpepper shops. She used the name of a very old um, herbalist in Britain, mm -hmm. long since dead, and she took his name and she used it and opened shops starting in London and then moved a few around the country, mainly in the south. But she was like the herbalist on the premises that you could book an appointment with for a consultation. And she would then consult with the patient and, of course, have her dispensary there on site. But people could walk in off the street as well. So can I ask, is this the big scandal of a lost art and lost knowledge and our population has suffered because people don't know about herbs and how herbal medicine can help them? Or was there never any evidence that it worked? Was it all just snake potions, snake oil, you know, whatever, charlatans selling, mm. you know, potions and lotions, and, and it was all a scam. And it's a good thing the legislation came in and sorted out all of this abuse of people in the public. And now we've got proper doctors treating with proper drugs. What's the reality? Yeah. The reality is that every culture in the world has always had its field of expertise and its knowledge and passed it on. So the ancient Romans, the ancient Greeks, Hippocrates, etc., etc., going back centuries, the knowledge was there, the evidence was there, it was recorded, it was handed down. Think of the monks and the abbots and the people that worked for the poor people, the people who didn't have money mm. um, and looked after them. They recorded, they had knowledge. Things have been recorded all around the world. Recent times, it's been chosen to be ignored. And unfortunately, it's never been researched to any great degree by most countries, apart from China now. But there's never been financial backing. I mean, in the UK, there used to be a number of universities that ran degree courses. They got funding to do so. Mm. And you could do a degree in herbal medicine to become a practitioner. Those were cut and cut in the recent years. Mm. And now there's very few establishments that can actually run a degree course. They mainly have had to become diploma courses run by schools and colleges and other people that have set these courses up that have to be of a very high standard and achieve exactly the same level of what you would if you were at university with a degree. But they've had to find another way of passing on the knowledge of teaching and ensuring that herbalists are still, still trained to a very high standard. Can we stay in history for a little so, bit? Yes. So, sorry yeah. for interrupting. Say, go back 100 no. years, go back 150 years, 200 years. How, how many herbalists did you have? Like, how, how common was a herbalist? Did you have a herbalist in every village, every town? And, and how many herbalists do we yes. have now? <laughs> yeah, um, probably more than 100 years back. But yes, there used to be a herbalist in every village, in every town. There would have been because 
people didn't travel. So you knew, you might yeah. have gone to the next valley, the next village, but you would have always known where the so-called wise people were, which in fact were often women, but there were men as well. But it goes back centuries and it's just how it's evolved and developed. So the knowledge was often kept within families, which is when you think of the tribes, if you go back even further, that's how it used to be. Just yeah. handed down, didn't it? Within the family unit, within the tribe. So very, very similar in many ways. But really, it was at the, after the Second World War that it was all going to be actually being stopped. Prior to that, people were still very much working with and going to. I mean, in the UK, there used to be the health food shops. Many people of my age group and older would remember those. They were mm. in every town. And it was they were usually run by families that had been there for years and years and years. And again, it had all been handed down knowledge and information. There's a big difference between being a herbalist, I should explain, Ahmed, and, and being a registered medical herbalist. Mm. In the UK, anybody can call themselves a herbalist. They might have done a half-day course mm. with a supplement company mm. and want to call themselves a herbalist. Being a registered herbalist is completely different. You have to achieve a qualification. You have to do exams and dissertations and a whole raft of things, plus clinical hours. It's exactly the same as doing your degree course. When I was doing my course, I had to do 500 hours of clinical training minimum. Wow. It also took me six years <clears throat> to train because I didn't go to one establishment to do a degree. I did a diploma. Mm. And it took me six years. And I'm exactly the same as any other person working in medicine. I have to do continuous professional development. Every year so, to maintain my insurance, my registration and everything else. How many people are there like you now in the country, Barbara? There are lots of us. There are actually lots of us. Hundreds? And there are different herbal registrations. Sorry. Uh, did you say, are, are there hundreds of registered herbalists? Yeah, hundreds. H hundreds of registered medical herbalists. They might call themselves consultant herbalists. They might also add on that the naturopaths, which is what I am also, because I was dual trained to be a, her a, a medical herbalist and a naturopath. And that's an old term that not many people know what it actually means as well. Please explain. Please. What is please. A naturopath? Yeah, explain okay. to me. Yeah. Well, again, naturopath, part of a clue is in the name, working yep. with nature. So you might remember your granny or your ancestors might have had a foot bath with herbs or even mustard in or something. They might have even used simple basic things like witch hazel for certain things. So they might have made like a poultice to apply externally for something. They might have used like a castor oil pack heat for certain reasons. So it's working in a working with nature in a different way to get an end result that we need to achieve to improve things, whether it be to take pain away or whether it be to improve a certain condition and to help to treat the patient. So it's a combination. Do you know, it's really funny. The medical indoctrination within me is screaming, oh, this is all nonsense. It's all quackery. Look, the the, it's even in the name, witch hazel. <laughs> you know, just, it's all crazy stuff. Yeah, That's yeah. the indoctrination within yeah. me, you know. but. The, the part I understand of me... that. I mean, if, if, I gave you the, if I gave you the botanical name of Hamamalus, it sounds completely different. But a lot of common names have got different associations. 
Yes. Mm. And there was a lot of myth and mystic and magic around herbs. It was created intentionally, I think. Yeah. Yeah, I so, think so. Yeah, there's a hangover of that, even in the names. And I do understand exactly where you're coming from because a lot of people who aren't medically trained feel that way as well, feel that it might be quackery. I mean, Culpepper himself was was called a quack and he was he was ridiculed. Who was this, terrible, but now of course. Culpepper. Culpepper, a very famous British herbalist. There's many. There was John Gerard. There was all sorts of different ones. Thompson, there's been all sorts, not only in the UK but around the world. And Culpepper now has been recognised as, thank goodness he stood up and he spoke his truth and he made us listen. Throughout his life, as I say, he was ridiculed, called a quack and all sorts of things. But apology has been made now by the Royal College of Physicians, a formal apology. Oh, wow. In respect to Culpepper. And the, I was there on the day that it was actually said and they bowed to a bust of Culpepper and they actually said, had it not been for this man, Perhaps we would have continued to purge and bloodlet people. He well, made us think. How, how'd you spell Maybe his name? It's taken how'd you spell C -U -L -P his name? C U L P C U L P E P E R. Culpepper. He helped people with herbal medicine and he was ridiculed for it. And it's no different than the witches and the witch trials, and all those people that were murdered for their beliefs and their actions and their assistance with other people. It was frowned upon. It was not wanted. So this has gone on throughout history for centuries. So people like me aren't the least bit concerned about what others say and do because mm. we know that it's like a continuous cycle of life. But we speak out, some of us. We speak our truth. We stand by what we believe in. We have the evidence. We have the knowledge. We have the information. And we're proud of it. Oh, Barbara, I've just looked him up. Um, I didn't realize he was, he lived between 1616 and 1654. English botanist, herbalist, and physician. Oh, he sounds just like my kind of guy. He goes, there's three kinds of people, mainly disease the people. Priests, physicians, and lawyers. Priests, disease, matters belonging to their souls. Physicians disease matters belonging yeah. to their bodies and lawyers disease matters belonging to their state. I mean, it's kind of like sad, but encouraging to know that humans have been doing the same crap for centuries and what applied yeah, then still applies to this cycle. day. It's a bloody repeat cycle. I yeah, mean, this guy was talking about this four or five hundred years ago. It's still the same. My grandfather, who sadly I didn't get to know, he died when I was very young, but I remember my mother saying that... Never let anybody put herbs down or tell you that it's wrong. Because when I went to school and found nobody else was doing what I was doing, <laughs> nobody else was treated in the same way that I was, I thought, what's going on? What, what, this is weird. What's going on, Mum? Explain it to me. And she said, listen, it's gone on for centuries. People um, used to not talk about it. Her father, my grandfather, would often not tell people about what he did for exactly the same reason. But those mm. that were in the northern knew him and wanted that help, went to him. And that's how it worked. But he didn't shout about it, didn't get involved because we're permanently being dumbed down and being ridiculed. Like I say, it's just like the burning of the witches and everything else that's gone on. It's absolute disgrace. Barbara, and it's always been control. That's it. And the funny thing is, look, I've been on my own little journey, okay? And, you know, even pre-COVID, I was looking at my own health. I was looking at what I was being taught in med school. 
didn't make sense. I always felt a bit unsettled. But the thing is, you know, when you're really busy and you're sitting one exam after another and, you know, it's just the next test and you have to mm-hmm. climb up that greasy ladder and, you know, it's just about the next, you know, job. You, you don't have time mm-hmm. to think and reflect. And actually that kind of applies to broader yeah. society. People are so busy trying to pay their bills and distracted with things. You, yes. you don't have time to just think. And when you do, when you step back and think about who are we? Where are we from? What are we doing? How are we connected to this world? Mm. I feel like so much of our past is lost. So much of our history has been written over. I don't believe a lot of what we've been taught, you know, and, and it's like this, like herbal medicine, like you said, it makes sense that, you know, humans have been around for 2 million years plus, you know, every single time a new, you know, revelation comes out. Human beings have been on the planet even longer. You know, we've not been around for just 10,000 yes. years. We never crawled out of a cave. And, you know, we've been around a long time. And a lot of that history, mm-hmm. we just don't know what's gone on. Um, but we've lived with yeah. nature and with plants and we've eaten certain things and realized they're good for us. And some things are bad for us. And some things help with fever and temperature and some things are poisonous. And actually, if you apply something, mm-hmm. it can help with a sore it kind of makes sense. Some things numb things, some things don't. Of course it does. Um, of course and actually it does. a lot of the drugs yeah. are, are, you know, derived from plants, whether it's digitalis. Yeah, originally. You know? Yeah. Originally they were, like yeah. aspirin even. Aspirin. Um, but sadly, no longer. Now all made in labs. And of course, labs are all about theory and isolated extracts. Yeah. that's when all the side effects started to escalate hugely. And then, mm. of course, mixing the drugs and the polyfarming that's gone on. I mean, we in the herbal world could very easily polyfarm, but we choose not to. What do you mean we by polyfarm? Tell me what you mean by polyfarm. By putting so many different constituents together, maybe so many different herbs with so many properties together. I mean, when you first train and you start seeing patients, you start to think perhaps, oh, this might be good, this might be good, oh, and I'll put this and I'll put that. If you're not careful, you'll end up with a huge selection of herbs. But it's how do you choose the right herb for the right person? Mm. Well, that's knowledge and that's experience that you gain as you go on because there are so many herbs that do similar sorts of actions, but they have little nuances within them that make a difference to certain people. So that's why working holistically, as Hippocrates did, and remember, he's the man that said, all disease starts in the gut. And what are you allopathic people now le- learning? Something that we've known about for centuries, that all disease starts in the gut. So we herbalists have always looked at the gut, the digestive system first. Yes, we yes. might not have had the name like the microbiome, but we've always known about bacteria. We've always known about other things like parasites, et cetera, et cetera. So the gut, the liver, Etc. has always been our main starting point, and now the allopathic are just beginning to let the penny drop. It's so funny. In this. Yeah, it's you're right. to be made by selling books about the micro microbiome and all these sorts of things. It's nothing, nothing new. It's nothing just a new, new name. You're 100 right. I mean, let's go back a bit. One of the things about the drug development is you can't patent something that's natural. So if you if you create something mm-hmm. and it's synthetic, you can put you know, patent on it and you can sell it and you can mark it up. And I think, you know, actually a lot of the pharmaceutical companies are going around the world and people like Bill Gates, they want to patent everything. They want to, everything. And if it's a genetically modified plant, guess what? You can patent that as well. So they want to get rid of all natural things. They want to tag everything so they can extract money and wealth 
quantify everything, which tag what, it, trace it. It's nonsense. Which is what the public needs to know, Mommy. Most of the public, as you said before, they're so busy, they're so wrapped up in their own world of just getting the mortgage paid and everything else seen to the kids, et cetera, et cetera. We've all been in that position that they tend to think, oh, I haven't got the time, the headspace to look at that, to even consider it. And so it, yeah. it doesn't happen. But the reality is it's all about that money to be made and control. And that's what it comes down to. And it always has throughout the centuries. It's always been about money and control and who has the knowledge. Now, I refer more than to knowledge than to wisdom. It's okay having the knowledge, but you need to apply the wisdom. And that means far more. Oh, yeah. 100%. I mean, mm. there's a lot of people who have got a lot of knowledge but aren't very wise. You know, and I see that around me all the time. I see a lot of people, very intelligent Absolutely. people, educated people. And we've all got to. But I wouldn't say they're smart. I wouldn't say they're smart. Yeah. I wouldn't say they're clever. You know, I wouldn't say they're wise. No. Um, no. And uh, applies to Absolutely. a lot of so-called Wisdom experts. is the most important thing. Yeah, wisdom. Yeah, we need, and we need to learn the wisdom. We need to learn the wisdom of nature, and we need to work alongside it, not destroy it, not think that we can control it. Nature is who we are as individuals. We are all so, part of nature. Yeah. Well, we came from the soil and we're going to return to the soil. And um, we live in this amazing relationship Absolutely. with it. Absolutely. I've got so many questions I want to ask you, Barbara. One question. So I had a conversation recently with a, a carnivore doctor. And I've met a lot of doctors and a lot of people who are now really into carnivore. And they believe that human beings, carnivores, and if we stick, stick to protein and meat derivatives, is actually much healthier for our gut biome and, and you feel younger, you have less inflammation. And if you couple it with a bit of intermittent fasting and rest your gut, it's, it's incredible for you. And then, and they talk about how plants, a lot of them have got toxic chemicals, defense chemicals, and, and you, you shouldn't really be ingesting plants. And yes, there might be some nutrients, but a lot of plants are actually toxic for us. Where does this come into your philosophy and understanding of herbalism? And, you know, should we be eating some herbs and plant matter? Is it a balance? You know, because there's so many people out there, you know, you've got your vegan proponents and you've got your carnivore proponents. Yeah. I'm kind of like on that oh, yeah. scale, so but I'm more towards the carnivore, but I'm more omnivore. I still like having some berries and a few vegetables, you know, but 80% carnivore, a little bit of plant matter. Well, what's your stance on this? What's my take? What's my take mm -hmm. on that? Well, we're all different. We're all unique individuals. We all have different needs. We're completely different. We've all got different backgrounds culturally. Most of us don't even know where our distant ancestors were from and the things, the illnesses or the hereditary things, all sorts of things about ourselves. We are a mix, a conglomeration of a whole raft of things, those of us that are here today. And no one's thing fits all. No one size will fit all and never will do. So I am not an advocate of this is the right diet, that's the right diet. In fact, I don't believe in certain diets at all. I believe in finding what's right for the individual. Mm. What suits you might be completely different than what suits me. And it's a case of us trying what's right for us. But there are certain general things with humans. We are the same in so many ways. So we have to look at the basic requirements for humans. 
And yes, we need proteins and yes, we need carbohydrates and we need all sorts of vitamins and minerals. Remember, it's not that long ago. We didn't even know about vitamins and minerals. You know, that was relatively new knowledge. Um, mm. But there's, there's so many things that we need and we can't live without. But as unique individuals, for some people, it would be an excess of something or often it's a case of an illness is caused because things are deficient. I see more deficiency than excess, to be perfectly honest with you. People have deficiencies. They might think they're having a really healthy diet, but people are not often aware that if their food isn't clean, it doesn't matter whether it's come from an animal or a plant. If it isn't chemical free, not pumped with antibiotics, not sprayed to death with chemicals, then it's a lot healthier, no matter what it is that they're going to eat. Yes, plants yeah. have protective things, but animals have protective things as well. And they also carry and have diseases as well. And they're also pumped with, unless they're truly organic, truly well looked after animals, or perhaps completely wild. Mm. Who knows what you're actually consuming? So you have to be aware that your products that you're having. And frankly, in my world, it's not just food and drink that I'm looking at. I'm looking at personal care products. What lipstick do you use? Because you eat it all. So how many chemicals are in that stick of lipstick, guys? You know, you're having your hair dyed. Oh, right. Well, how many chemicals are in that? And you're going, what, every six weeks? And your nail varnish, yeah. well, that nail varnish remover, the preserved bodies in that, in the formaldehyde, et cetera, et cetera. Your cleaning products, especially your spray bathroom cleaning products. You then Soaps, inhale them. shampoos, the everything. Bodies, everything. So it's not just when it comes to health. It is never just looking at the food and the drink. Oh, no. It's a much bigger world. How much technology do you spend your time on? Mm. What about the state of your mental health? How much time do you get outside in nature? How much exercise and what form of exercise do you get? Who do you hang out with? What are you interested in? It's holistic. Our way of working as medical herbalists is completely holistic. Most people that come to us think, yeah, they'll probably be interested in what I eat. But we're interested in everything about the individual to be able to help them to get on the right track. Well, to find out the cause, the root cause of illness. That That is, I think, on, the only way to practice. Honestly, whether you're a physical therapist or an osteopath or a surgeon or a doctor, it has to be holistic. And I'm, I'll be honest with you, I'm guilty. You know, I've been a, a doctor now since 1998. I think realistically, if I'm going to be honest, it's only since 2018 I've started to practice holistically, you know. So today, this morning, you know, I was in clinic, yeah. which is why I'm still in a suit. Normally I do a podcast and t-shirt. Um, you know, I, I, I had a patient with Achilles tendon pain and I started asking her about sleep and stress. And she was, she was like, well, this is a bit, this, I wasn't expecting this, but it turns out her mother was dying last year and she'd been under incredible stress and had really altered mm -hmm. sleep. And that's when her symptoms and her Achilles tendon flared up. And then, you know, I had to talk about, you Absolutely. know, what her stress was doing now and whether her sleep had been optimized. And, you know, yeah. and I was, and, yeah. and, and, and I'll be honest with you, five years ago, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have spoken about that kind of stuff. I would have just been like, yeah, that's your condition. Let's get a scan. Let's start this treatment. Yeah. Um, but if you don't treat underlying well, look root how causes. You've learned. Look, how, look how you've learned now. The penny's dropped. You can't yeah. just treat symptoms. We no. don't treat symptoms. 
we treat in in herbal medicine we treat everything and everybody it doesn't matter what they think they've got and we even do our own diagnostics so we don't go off somebody else telling us what is wrong with the patient we are trained and some of us have different forms and different levels of training and that's when other people start thinking oh well, that that's strange i don't believe in that but mm. different people have different approaches to how they diagnose well, I, I love the fact you said you don't rely on other people's diagnosis. I think that's so important. As the number one mistake people make uh, when they come and see me and I'm like the fifth or sixth person and they see a number of different clinicians from different specialities. The problem is someone right at the beginning, a GP or someone has given a diagnosis and everyone else is run with that diagnosis and they've all applied yes. a treatment for that yeah. diagnosis and it hasn't worked because guess what? The diagnosis was wrong. And so when someone comes to me and says, oh, yeah, this is my diagnosis, I go, well, that's great. But I'm actually going to go back to Mm -hmm. basics and figure out for myself what the diagnosis is. And guess what? Surprise, surprise. Often it's the wrong diagnosis. So you're right. You should always go back. Yeah, you do. You do. And unfortunately, when people have been given a diagnosis, they then own the condition. And some of them don't want to lose the condition. Including the patient. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. They they represent the, the symptoms and the illness that they've got, and many of them don't actually want to lose that. Sad but true. So working with 100%. mental health and mental approaches is absolutely critical that we get to understand the person and look at the root cause and help them to learn to come away from perhaps their way of thinking even. Do you know what? Who who needs to listen to this? Every single medical student. <laughs> Every single medical student needs to listen about how you approach a patient. You need to listen to them. You need to start afresh and understand that there's so much more going on than just the symptoms. There and the mental health component. As far as yeah. far as I'm concerned, every patient you should be managing their mental health. Because every patient is coming to you with some degree of anxiety or depression or concerns, and even well, look, validating. Let's you know, be honest, the, Ahmed. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say, let, let's be honest. Everybody that's got a health condition and situation, they're already worried. They're already anxious. They might sit in front of us and say, yeah. "Oh, I'm not worried about it," but the reality is, they are. They've got yeah. concerns. It's yeah. on the mind. They're thinking about it. And yeah. So naturally, we have to go there. We have yeah. to treat the whole person, mind, body, and I'm going to say it, spirit, mind, body, spirit. I'm coming back to that vibrational energy, the light within us all, are, are part of the fact that we are nature and we have to look at that. We have to consider that and where we sit within that relationship. Uh, I'm, I'm fully on board. So can I, let's talk about, some specifics okay what herbs here in the uk can you name any that you know just give the audience and myself an an idea an inkling and you know and i'm sure you know there's a whole world and encyclopedia of herbs and names and conditions you can treat you know just scratch the surface just enlighten us give us a few examples some garden variety something that might be going in a garden how would that be beneficial or in the woods that you might go in or hedgerow because I hear okay. like, for example, I hear dandelions are really good for you or, you know, stuff like that. Yeah. Can you see thistle, my poster? Thistle milk. Can you see my poster? Milk yeah. of thistle. Look at my poster behind. That's dandelion. Yes. Yeah. Well, the reality is many herbs are free. 
And that could be part of the reason why people don't want to research them and control them because they know they can't really control them because they're free. We can dig them up ourselves. We can yeah. take the flower heads. We can do Cha-ching, all ching. So let's take dandelion. Let's take yes. dandelion. It's Please. a wonderful, wonderful herb, and we use every single part of it at different times of the year. Herbal medicine is about seasonality. It's about being aware of the seasons, the place that you live and being connected to your environment. And when you're in the UK, then the dandelions have their moment in time when they're at their peak as far as the leaf is concerned, and then at the peak as far as the flowers are concerned, and then you have the seed and then you have the root. So oh, wow. every single part of it is going to have its medicinal properties at the best stage at certain stages. And that's the learning curve. That's the knowledge, the wisdom that we try to pass on and that we work with. And as herbalists, we're trained in that. It's no good, for example, picking the leaves at the very back end of autumn, just before they start to die down, and preserving them or even using them, thinking you're getting the best herbal medicine. You're not. They've been going all mm. summer long. They've given off the best. They're getting a bit expiring. They've had, they, they need to rest and they need to recover. And so the top part, the leaves in the wintertime go down. They might show one or two if it's a mild winter. The few of the old ones might hang on. There's no point in particularly using them at that stage because wintertime is when the energy and the nourishment, because it's minerals and vitamins as well, it's not just mm. the herbal components, but it's everything else. Then it's about roots. Go back to your roots in winter, roots and rhizomes. That's precisely what we've done for centuries. The energy is then stored in there. The best medicinal properties are then in the roots. So over the winter and before they start to grow again for the following year, then it's the roots. So literally the dandelion is is a whole gem of a herb and it's the one that gets all the criticism and the chemicals thrown at it and the burning and everything else going because people say, ah, oh, they're always in the wrong place and they're forever spreading and the herbs speak to us. Herbs communicate. I am here. Work with me. I'm plentiful. I'm free. Work with me. I mean, how so else can nature be giving you signals? So listen, listen, I... I am of the opinion that the world is bountiful and there is plenty and the evil people out there want us to think everything is scarce, that there's too many of us dirty mouth breathers and that, you know what, there needs to be less of us. It's funny, it's the same people and a (laughs) a lot of middle class virtue signaling, you know, also have now subscribed to this new religion. Oh, there's too many people and we're killing the planet. Mm -hmm. It's all bullshit. Right, we're not killing the planet, and the earth is limitless. The bounty it just keeps giving, and you just need to look around us, and we just we just need to take care of it. And I look at the Native Americans, yeah. and I think they were switched on. The idea of property ownership, they laughed at it. And and if you think about it, it's ridiculous owning land. Who are we to own land? We're temporary on this planet yeah, well we and don't you know do we it i mean even with the land even now like, possess the land we do and in actual fact i have a, a huge thing that i say to everybody that i meet we might have a garden but we are not gardeners we are guardians of the land and it's very important that we understand we are only passing through we're here briefly 
And in the time that we're here, that first do no harm as medics, as professionals, the oath that we take applies also to the land that we live with, the environment mm. that we are yes. here with. It's, it, you know, it, it's so critically important. We should be guardians of the land. We are here for all life on Earth, and the plants are here for all life on, on Earth, not just for us humans. Let's not be so superior and think it's just for us. Herbal medicine is for everything on this land, on this planet, and it always so, has been. So can I ask? it always will be. Oh, absolutely. Let's go back to the dandelion then. <laughs> the leaf. So yes, what's yeah. in the I'll leaf? I only mention one. <laughs> I know. Let's just start. So the dandelion leaf, right? So you're saying you should have it, you should yeah. take them in the spring. And yeah. one, so let's let's break it down. Why what what should you why why is it good for you? What's in it that's good for okay. you? What can it treat? And how do you take yeah. it? I mean, do you just do you add it to your salad? Okay. Do you do you make tea out of it? I mean, what do you do? So, so there questions, you go. Armin. Sorry, yeah, so sorry, many sorry. questions. Well, a sorry. dandelion leaf. It, no, it's okay. It's, we've got weeks, obviously, of conversation we could have just on dandelion alone. The leaves are full of vitamins and minerals, antioxidants, flavonoids, all those things that people now think come in a bottle. Well, they yeah. don't. They come in plants. And it's green, so it's harnessed the energy from the sun. We've got chlorophyll in there as well. We've got that lovely energy, the green. So the leaves from spring onwards, when they're coming up new out of the ground from the stored energy of the roots, they are yeah. full of other constituents and other chemical components. And one of the main good things that they do is they're a natural diuretic and they balance in the body the potassium and sodium naturally. They do not create a problem like we know many now alternative drugs do. I use the word alternative because I see certain drugs as alternative medicine and not original medicine so great. A diuretic, <laughs> which balances your potassium and, a, a, a diuretic that balances your potassium and sodium is far better than something that knocks out your balance and then you need another thing to take um, as in the alternative medicine to balance it so say you've got oedema like some people have who perhaps aren't moving about a lot, and poor circulation, et cetera, poor lymphatic drainage, et cetera, they might get swelling in the ankles and the lower limbs. So a diuretic could well help with that, as well as teaching them, of course, about circulation and exercise. And even if they're seated and they can't walk, how to actually assist themselves. So not only is it a diuretic, though, it's a food. So it's our replacement for things like spinach and other wilted greens that perhaps are not particularly healthy for certain ones of us because they might lay down deposits in the body causing like arthritic uh, calcification problems within joints, mm. which is something that some foods do, as you probably well know, like spinach and gooseberries mm. and rhubarb. So to um, have less of those, which the supermarkets are selling in convenient bags that are gas-filled and et cetera, et cetera, the dandelion leaf, in other cultures of the world, especially France and Italy, has been eaten for centuries. Used to be here. And again, that wisdom got forgotten, but it's back. It's back big time with the people who are trendy. <laughs> yes. We have now become trendy, we herbalists. The people who want to forage with us, the people who want to walk with us, the people who want the bushcraft skills, you name it. Mm. Dandelions are a food. 
as well as a medicine. And that's how everything is in reality. And if you go to France, then it's part of your salad component, chopped up dandelion leaves. And that's how we teach people again here. They're bitter. They've got a bitter tone. And the British have got used to a sweet palate and, and everything to do with sugar. Even all these GM vegetables and everything else, all produced for sweetened brassicas, sweeten this, sweeten that, tender sweet cabbage. Yes. Absolutely bonkers. We need the bitter in our life. Without the bitter, our livers, our gallbladder, our digestive system will not have good function. So an element of bitter in our life every day is a good thing. So the dandelion leaf is just one aspect of that. You can also take the flower heads and pull the petals off and you can do a Michelin star restaurant style on any meal you want. The dandelion leaves are the same as, as the flowers. So you can scatter them and you can have them as food. If you want, so, you can put them in your garden tea, as you call it. So are we talking about early, are we talking about spring and early summer then? You use those parts of the dandelion. Yeah, when they're, when they're at the best. By late summer, they're getting a bit exhausted. You can still perhaps use them a bit as food, but the medicinal properties are not as good. They're not as high. So for harvesting mm. herbs, there's a window in time when everything's at its best. And that's the kind of things you need to learn. That's so you know, the sort of thing that everybody grow, needs to know. Growing up in the 80s, I, I just remember like learning that dining lines were just weeds and they needed eradicating and weed killer like sprayed all over them. It, it's been a war in the dandelion, don't you think? <laughs> yeah. Well, every chemical advert that you see, it's always the dandelion on the packet yeah. and the container that's just pumped with chemicals. It's an absolute disgrace because the chemical can actually save li The dandelion can save lives. Even if you've got edema around the heart, which is a big problem, as you know, then the leaves and the flowers of the dandelion will even help with people in that condition. Oh, wow. We wouldn't use one herb, what we're called a simple. Herbalists mix and blend according to the individual's unique needs. So we never use just one herb on its own. We would mm. blend herbs together and give in whatever form we felt was appropriate, for, again, for the individual. It might be tincture form, which is alcohol and water. It might be in a, a tea blend form, which would be at a level where it's at therapeutic level, not just a drink. So it, it, or it might be encapsulated so that they can swallow down as, as pills or whatever. So herbs are given in all different forms, dependent on the individual as to how best for them, dependent on their function and their problem. All right, can I ask you something? Best take the prescription. I think I know your yeah. answer, but I just want to double check. I mean, what would you recommend for the average person? Go around the garden and instead of spraying weed killer on their dandelion, pluck it and use their leaves for salad and appreciate the flower that it is and the herb that it is? Or, you know, would you recommend people yeah. just go to, you know, a natural health shop and buy capsules and tablets of dandelion and dandelion extract? No, I'd recommend you, you, your space that you have that's in your control you work with it and you keep perhaps your dogs and your cats off certain areas because mm. you want to eat them clean. You don't even mm. want to bother washing them. You want to just bring them into the kitchen as kitchen herbs and to use them. If you go out foraging and you go to different places, then get to know your area, get to know your neighbourhood, get to know where it's clean or whether it's polluted, cars, 
um, farmers spraying crops by the sides, all sorts of things can can be affecting everything, can't it? So get to know your environment, get to know. But if you've got a garden space, if you've got an allotment, then for goodness sake, use it. Food, food is medicine. There's food. no doubt about it. And the dandelion is, is just wonderful for the liver. The, the root in particular is, is a liver tonic. It's for the liver and the gallbladder. It's a bitter and it helps with the bile. It helps to prevent the buildup of gallstones. It helps to treat gallstones. helps with the sphincters for the top and bottom of the stomach to engage for them to open and to shut at the right time. My, my sphincters are just fine. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it, dandelion is a, is a huge medicine and an important medicine. And it's, so and that, you know, so the we root. have to look after our liver. Yeah, so the root is like yeah. this little the thin little white root. carrot type thing, you know. With little, so, how would you prepare the root? Not necessarily, not necessarily, oh. Armoured. It depends okay. how old the dandelion is. And really, you want to be harvesting roots that are, are plants that are two years and older because the oh. root is more powerful and has better action. So, the young right. ones, they haven't built up and stored enough in the roots. So, those white, spindly, pathetic looking roots, yes. not as good as two years and older. And that's why you watch nature and you observe right. and you work with her so that you see that, oh, a dandelion's turned up. Two years' time, maybe I'll be using that root. In the meantime, I'll be harvesting the tops. So working with observation is very important. God, I've just realized we're really scratching the surface of this science. I mean, it's a, it's a science, isn't it? Herbalism is a science. I mean, the knowledge yes. behind it is it's, incredible. It's, it's, it's a, it is science, and when the doctors came in and wanted the knowledge from the people who had the knowledge, then they wanted it to be very scientific, very professional, very this. so they wanted to control it all, and that's when they started trying to take it away from everybody else with the knowledge, and they tried to put it all into one place. Let's build a physic garden. In other words, an outdoor teaching classroom to teach the doctors how to identify and then how to make the medicine. Good job they did, because that's, as you said earlier, where all medicine started from. It came from plants, and that's what was needed for the doctors I didn't have to one, learn. But I didn't people, have one lecture on plants. I didn't have one lecture on plants. You wouldn't have. No botany, nothing. You nothing. wouldn't have had nutrition either. No, no. You wouldn't have, have had that. nutrition either. No. Whereas in None of health that. courses, we are botanists. We, are, we learn botany, and we also do nutrition. Do you know, even gardeners, I was speaking to Sheena Fraser about the gut biome, this GP is fascinated by biomes. She was like, just doing gardening, getting your hands in the dirt, you've got a healthier gut because yeah. you've got this variety yeah. of biodiversity of bacteria. And we live with bacteria, they're everywhere in our eyes. I didn't know that. On the surface of our yeah. eyes, yeah, we're more our skin. We're more everywhere. bacteria than anything else. So yeah. to be frightened of it is ridiculous. Get out there, get dirty, don't wear your gardening gloves, but avoid the chemicals. It's the chemicals that are the problem. But a good a good soil has, has got so much going on. A teaspoon of, of soil is absolutely packed with the things that actually we need. <laughs> Can I quickly ask you something? Say, say someone listening to this really wants to start eating some of the stuff they're growing in their garden. But you know what? They were spraying Roundup yeah. or some garbage on their soil. Is it safe for they them don't. to eat that stuff? Do you need to give it a no. year or two before no. it's cleared out the system? How long do you have to wait? 
Yeah, well, the the jury's out on that one because the companies say, oh, it only kills what it comes into contact with. Um, mm. We know the difference uh, in, and the truth in that, and we know that actually that product causes all sorts of serious illnesses, including cancer. It's well known. It's hidden. Yep. It's marketed in such a way, but nobody should be using these glyphosates at all. They shouldn't be used no. for anything, but they have been. They've been used big time. Farming yeah. and agriculture in across the world has been using these chemicals. Our food is is a chemical cocktail, a chemical kosh in actual fact, most food and drink. <laughs> so yeah. even before you start to look at what medications people are on when they come with an illness, the food and drink alone is like, my goodness, it's no wonder you're ill. Yeah. It's no wonder. Yeah. No, I get that. You know, it's funny. I, so I was walking. I was walking. I, w I love walking in the woods and running in the woods. But once we had our family over and we were walking and my mom's kind of elderly. So we we're nice, slow, steady pace. So this big tractor came around the corner, spraying stuff over, the, or, or, you know, mm. on the crops. It was suffocating. I mean, the smell of this chemical. We had to yeah. run. We had to run uh, onto higher ground. And I was thinking, God, yes. I, I feel like I'm, I'm going to die of poison inhaling this garbage. Yeah. And they're spraying Absolutely. it on the and they're, Yeah. They're spraying it on, on yeah. all of the plants. And, and, of course, it drifts dependent on the wind and the weather conditions at the time. So when people go, oh, I want to live in the countryside, you know, with the rose-tinted spectacles, oh, and I, I'm living alongside this wonderful farmer. What is that wonderful farmer using on his fields that are coming onto your land that you're inhaling? And everything else. It's quite scary in reality. But fortunately, many farmers have woken up and are realizing the harm that they've done to the earth and the animals and the plants and everything else. And of course, now they're not being given the money to spend on the chemicals. So we're back to business and money and control. And it's not now being doled out like it used to be. So they have to find other ways. And what are the other ways? Well, going back to nature growing the very plants that feed and nourish the soil as opposed to putting on the chemicals that destroy all life. My first ever podcast was, was with Jonathan Chapman, who's a regenerative beef farmer, and he was talking about how his dad used to farm and in the Norfolk pattern and you basically rotate the crops and leave it fallow for a year and then have yes. animals grazing. And their organic matter, yes. their poop fed the soil with nutrients. Yes. And, and, and this is how the cycle was. And this idea that yes, animals are bad yeah. and we shouldn't eat meat is ridiculous because if you, if you go down the route of veganism yep. and monocultures, you basically kill the biodiversity. You spray everything with all this glyphosate, glyph yeah. whatever. And, you know, there's no biodiversity. You have no insects. You have no organic matter in the soil. Then you have to pump in fertilizers and you're basically raping the soil yeah. of all the goodness. So. Like you just alluded to earlier on in this chat, you know, we've never had society, humanity as well fed today, but equally, I would argue, mm -hmm. nutritionally depleted. You know, they, they, there's nothing, yeah. they might be obese and fat, but they're, they're so lacking in the essential nutrients. And then it's like you said, there's well, a deficiency. I would, question that term that, I would question that term that you've just used as well fed, well fed. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, again, it's how you word it, isn't it, Armin? Yeah. They're not well fed at all. People are fed absolute rubbish in many, many cases. I meant, I meant quantity, quantity wise. I meant 
I meant quantity-wise. Yeah, with more quantity. Again, after the Second World War, that's what they wanted. Feed yep. the nations, feed the masses. We want quantity over quality. And that's precisely what they did. They went for quantity over quality, and they've continued to do it. And they've so learned now, the errors of the ways. It's taken they, a very long time for them to wake up. Well, they're, they're admitting it now, and they're trying to make changes, but it, it's all a bit late. It's a little bit like we knew for how many years before? Was it 60 years before the cigarettes actually caused cancer and killed people? But it was all a cover-up. It was oh, all do you know buried. What? I, really all, hope, I really hope. I really hope. I I hope it's like you say, I don't really see anyone acknowledging it or trying to reverse it or fix it. You know, if I was prime minister, you know, day one, I'd sort out 90% of the shit that's going on. I mean, I'm sorry. You know, the schools, what well, they're being fed, what they're being taught, hospitals. Have you seen the hospital meals? Yeah. You know, day in, day yes, out, the food, the food pyramid. There are some the food? good people. Uh-huh. Yeah. But there's some good people around the world who are actually doing things. They're not just talking the talk. They're actually taking action. And um, somebody that I like who's on Radio 4 Food Programme, Dan Saladino, he's written a book, Eating to Extinction. And I think that should be standard reading for everybody because it takes you around the world. And there are people who are keeping the seed, keeping the animals looking after them. They might be doing it small scale. Mm. If you start small, it builds because it's a ripple effect. People learn and you educate along the way and other people can pick up. If you wait for them that are in charge, the governments and the politicians, then it will always be too late. You've got to take action yourself as an individual. You've got to actually not wait to be told what to do. You've got to be aware of what's required and just get on with it. Just do your own thing. Amen. And it's only then that others will and it's only then that others will learn. And they'll say, you know that batty woman down the road that I see with the wheelbarrow <laughs> all the time. Well, it's amazing. She actually she does such and such and such. It's not what you say, Armored in life, I believe, but it's what you do. It's how you live your life. Hundred percent. It's being that role model. And then people say, What are they doing? They look great. They're so healthy. Yeah. It's working, um, hundred percent. You need to yeah. walk the walk. You can't just talk the talk. So, how many Absolutely. herbs are we talking Absolutely. about in the UK? Are we talking about five hundred? Talking about five thousand? You know, thousands, thousands, thousands. If you think that everything that you stand on, every blade of grass, because even cooch grass is a herb, another wonderful diuretic, great for UTIs, all sorts of things. Cooch grass. Yeah, the thing that people try again to get rid of. And I, I, I don't need a diuretic. Every, this, stuff, this coffee runs through me like you, you, no <laughs> one's business. <laughs> I don't so need a diuretic. Everything you stand on, everything you touch. You mentioned garden herbs before. So take your thymes and your rosemary and your sage. People think of culinary. Yeah. Mm, yeah. Culinary herbs. Well, they're literally everything. Rosemary is proven to be for the brain, just like sage. It also contains carsonic acid, which stops and prevents cancer cells going rogue. So in Italy and other countries and Greece, they use those herbs in quantity every single day, not just Mm. occasionally, not just for adding to the chicken or doing whatever. Um, But they actually use masses of quantity. Time. Take time time. in your life. I love time. I love time. Natural antiviral. Natural antiviral. So our elderberries, I'm just about to harvest some this week. They've just started to come rather early, unfortunately, but hey. So elderberries, natural antivirals, 
We have hundreds of natural antivirals and it's always been our tradition, like other cultures. So when the seasons shift, nature provides and we go and we work with nature and we prepare and we lay down an old fashioned term, but we preserve. We make syrups, we make cordials, we make chutneys, we make jams with all our food. We preserve, we ferment, we do all sorts of things. We herbalists lay down in tincture to preserve. So things, herbs will see us through the winter months until we come back into the seasons again. And we, so everything's a cycle. Being a herbalist, you're constantly growing, harvesting, watching, waiting, observing and working with. So Barbara. That's what we do all year round. I love it. So I don't know about you, but 90% of people in whatever profession I always find let me down, <laughs> whether it's a car mechanic, uh, an electrician, a doctor, you know, finding good people yeah. is actually very difficult. And what do I mean by that? You know, I'm quite, you know, someone who's, you know, good at what they're doing, you know, good at their job. Yes. Someone who's a good communicator, someone who's timely someone yeah. who's reliable, someone who's honest, puts their hands up and goes, oh, I don't know about this one, mate, but I'll go and find out. Someone who's not going to rip yeah. you off. You know, finding a good person, whatever trade, is hard. I assume it's, it's a, the same with a, with a herbalist? Yeah. Or are all herbalists amazing? And where do we find them? I was asked exactly that question, and I replied to somebody this morning, and they were looking for somebody that was similar to me, Mm. Um, but in a different area, London-based. Yeah. And, of course, yeah. I'm, I'm not London-based. Um, so I recommended somebody, and I actually said to him, I gave it some thought. He asked me on Friday, and I said, I'll think about it on the weekend, ring you Monday morning, which I did. And I said, it's easy to recommend, but it's, I want to recommend somebody that I know can actually fulfil what you need them to fulfil. Yeah. Because there's lots of people, but everybody's very different. And yeah. I would only recommend somebody that I would want to work with myself, frankly. Mm. And so, so the yeah, reason why I'm making, yeah, the reason why I'm making this point is like, if I apply my 90% rule, there's a 90% chance that I would go and find a herbalist and they're not good or they don't, and it doesn't work. And it's not the fact that herbalism is bad, but it's just getting the right practitioner, getting someone with the knowledge, yes. someone who will listen someone who's reliable, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So don't just yeah. give up the first time if something doesn't work. Maybe you need to get a second opinion or something like that. Yeah. With herbal medicine, you never give up after the first because it's not a case of a quick fix. It's very different to the alternative mm. medicine world. It's not a quick fix. In some cases, it depends if it's a chronic condition or acute condition, of course, and, and what you're actually dealing with, length of time the patient's had the problem, etc. But it's never you go once and that's it, you're sorted. That's a rare occasion unless it was an acute condition that we were just dealing with there and then, like a child with a fever or, or something. Um, but it's, you know, it depends on the situation. So, But it's finding somebody that you gel with that you also quite like and have faith and trust in, like it is when you go to any yeah. professional for anything. Yeah. So getting to know the person before the actual consultation often helps. So a little chat beforehand or meeting them face-to-face -face like we're doing here, but meeting at an event or, or out in the street or whatever makes a huge difference. So being out in the public eye, I've always felt is important. Perhaps mm. that's my upbringing. I was brought up in a corner shop. It was all about community. It was all about knowing people, not only we, your we, environment, but the folk around. 
we had a shop as well. We had a shoe shop as a kid. I used to help out. So I know exactly what you mean, being part of that community. I think it's yeah. really important. Um, yeah. yeah. So do I. It opens up an insight into you, doesn't it, about people? Because dealing with the public, as you know, it's never easy. Yeah, no, 100%. And, and but how do you find people? To answer, so to answer your question, there are herbal registrations, if you look online, for herbal yep. registrations, and there are a number of them. Some are very small and some are quite large, but there are literally hundreds of people that work as registered herbalists. They might call themselves different titles, consultant herbalist, consultant medical herbalist, whatever, but they are registered, which means they have achieved a certain standard of education and they are constantly monitored and they have to continue their professional development like all other doctors. They mm. have a medical training. <clears throat> and frankly, when it comes to your health, you need somebody with a medical training. You don't and just need somebody who can talk talk. So I've got a lot of listeners in Europe and America. Apparently a lot in California and Texas, shout out to the listeners out there, even New Zealand, Australia. Are there herbalists in all of these parts of the world? There are, but unfortunately different governments in different countries have brought in different regulations. And in some places, like in parts of Europe, they have banned herbalists from working, even registered herbalists. So there's some... There's a lot of things going on worldwide, like there always has been, as I say, back to my grandfather, it's nothing new. It's always mm. gone on. There's always been the oppression and there's always been the um, trying to bring people down and there's been the propaganda and all sorts of other things. But yes, worldwide, there are people with knowledge. In some cases, I should add, some people are not trained. They are not registered, but they can be excellent herbalists. They might be fifth, sixth generation. They might be somebody who's got a lot of wisdom and a lot of knowledge because it's their way of life. So sometimes, and I've met many people like that, they're excellent at what they do, but they're not registered. It's yeah. a bit like the Soil Association and being organic costs a lot of money to get the organic registration. It costs a lot of money to get qualified to be a herbal a herbalist, a registered herbalist, it costs you thousands and thousands of pounds. Some people can't afford that. So it's just the same, but there's, there are some good people out there. I think, I think, I just want to go back to one of the things you said. You talked about how people want a quick fix. I think that's one of the problems that we have. You know, even today, someone yeah. came to me and said, Oh, you know, I went to see this physiotherapist and, you know, it didn't work. And I said, You know, what, what do you do? Oh, I went once and they applied some ultrasound probe, which doesn't work. Um, and they went, you know, and it, and it didn't work, so I never went back. And I was like, you expected this problem that you've had for 10 years to go away with Quite. one visit. You know, and that's their mindset. I think so a lot of it is educating people yeah. that the quick fix is. is not the way. You know, it takes time. Yes, and if you don't... That's, that's alternative medicine's approach is yes. quick fix. Cut it out or I give you a pill and on your way. That yeah. is not how original medicine works. Original no. medicine is the whole holistic thing. I mean, it, often it's the case that the person that's got the problem, part of the main problem that they've got is because they're triggering it every single day. Mm. They're triggering it through whatever, in, in whatever way, but they're not aware of that. So you can't point that out in just a first consultation or so, a second consultation either. Absolutely. You have to work with, you have to build your relationship. And and that takes time. And you know what? I, what? The biggest struggle that I have is managing patient expectations. And 
getting yeah. people to have patience and address lifestyle issues. Everybody wants that yes. quick fix. And the problem is, do you know what happens? It's a symbiotic relationship where patients want a quick fix. Doctors offer the quick fix. Patients are happy because they've got the quick fix and they're lazy yeah. and they don't want to do any hard work. Doctors are happy because they get money with the quick fix and the patient's happy. And they know it's going to be repeat business because yeah. it won't work in the long term and the patient will be back. And it's like, ah, we need to break the cycle. Yeah. <laughs> we need to break the cycle. Anyway, moving forward. It's, it's did, did no you... different. Sorry. I was just going to say it's no different than people that sell plants. Um, they don't tell you the whole information about the plant. It's up to you to find out. But you might give it the wrong conditions in the wrong place so it dies. And then they don't mind that because you go back and buy another the following year and the year after uh, and the year after. <laughs> of course. So there's of a lot course. of... Lots of similarity, you know, about, uh, yeah, well, it's a business. It's a business yeah. and it's money. And, uh, I mean, in, in my world, we aim not to see people again, but we know yeah. that it's going to take time. In, in most cases, like a broken bone, you're not really right with that broken bone until two years after. And yet, they're told six to eight weeks in most cases. But in reality, the body's innate self-healing mechanism, it's two yes. years before it's really strong enough to be doing the things that they want to do. And you'll know that with the job that yeah. you do. But 100%. people are told a different story and they have a different expectation and outcome. 100%. And if we give them the task of achieving certain things, you'll help yourself by doing X, Y, and Z. Some people just do not want to go there. They do not want to do it. So you know what they say, you can help some of the people but perhaps not others. Exactly. You know, there's a, a, a new bill that's passed in New Zealand and they've been talking about it here in the UK. It's called the Therapeutics Products Bill and it marks the most significant change to how the regulation of medicines and devices um, in 40 years, okay? And it's about making sure that New Zealanders are assured that they deserve the safety and quality of therapeutic products. And... I think it's yeah. really, really sad because, again, they're trying to, you know, regulate natural health products and really control yeah. what people have access to. Yeah. And they really try to restrict, you know, I know it's not alternative to you. What, what most people term alternative medicine, herbal kind of medicine, they want it all down that pharmaceutical synthetic drug model. Yeah. And I think it's quite sad that, Governments are coming into, you know, in between patients and clinicians, because you are a clinician and other people like you are clinicians yes. at the end of the day. You have knowledge and expertise. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I think patients, people, the public need to be aware, which is why I did this podcast. And what I would ask, Barbara, because I know you've got time, I know you've got an appointment after this, so we need to wrap up soon, but I'd love you to come back. And what I would love you to do is if maybe I talk about certain conditions or you can pick certain yeah. herbs and, you know, just common things like stress, depression, um, yes. high blood pressure. Yeah, you we've know, not really had time. We've not. You know, the, knowledge, the knowledge is huge and we've just scratched the surface. And um, hopefully both of us have, have realized that there's a lot more to say on the subject. Yeah. So would that be okay if I have you back later on in the year with just like three or four topics? I think mental health, mental health is a big one and, you know, one or two yeah. other things. And if you can just like educate me and the audience yeah, so that Probably we really can. Yeah. 
I'd be delighted. It's the sort of thing I give talks on and I, and I do all sorts of things. Um, so, Great. Yeah, no Amazing. problem at all. I'd be delighted. Right. One of the ways I like to end is I always say to my guest, if, you know, imagine you're lying on your deathbed, you're 150 years old, you know, you've lived a great life, <laughs> your children, your grandchildren, okay. your great, great grandchildren all around you. What words of wisdom, what advice, you know, the wisdom you talked about, and you're, you're definitely wise. What, yeah. what advice would you yeah. give your family? Something I give already. Be true to yourself. Always be true to yourself. Great. I love it. That was handed to me, and I, that's how I live. It's a great way to live. The best way to live. Barbara, yeah. I'm going to put it all your links. popular. Yeah, oh God, yeah. We're not in a popularity contest, so, hey. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, I'm not worried about that anymore. I used to worry about that. I used to worry about people liking me. Now, do you know yeah. what? I got tired. I kind of hit 40. 35, 40, between that time frame, I started to love myself, you know, and, and just be happy with who I am and not worry about imposter syndrome too much. And not worry about making people happy and realize, you know what, just be myself, do the best I can. Some yeah. people like it. Some people won't. That's just the way it is. Yeah. But you'll never be happy unless you're true to yourself. Yep. 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 Barbara, I'm going to put all the links up that you've given me on the website, docmalik.com. Um, I'm definitely having you back, whether you like it or not. We're talking about some more stuff on <laughs> Terrible medicine, please. No, I'd, I'd be delighted, Ahmed. Thank you. I'd love the opportunity because it's a subject that I'm passionate about and I want more people to be aware. Most of this is of your own making and most of it is free. It's not love rocket it. science. Great. Thank you, everyone, for listening once again. And we'll definitely have Barbara back. Okay, everyone. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.